Hello, my darlings, and welcome to today's story time. If you like what you hear, please make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. And now, on with our story time. Carter gave the seeker some passwords of great value among the cats of Dreamland, and commended him especially to the old chief of the cats in Celephiace, whither he was bound. That old cat, already slightly known to Carter, was a dignified Maltese, and would prove highly influential in any transaction. It was dawn when they came to the proper edge of the wood, and Carter bade his friends a reluctant farewell. Young, sub-lieutenant he had met as a small kitten, would have followed him, had not the old general forbidden it. But that austere patriarch insisted that the path of duty lay with the tribe and the army. So Carter alone set out over the golden fields that stretched mysterious beside a willow-fringed river, and the cats went back into the woods. Well did the traveler know those garden lands that lie betwixt the wood and the Serenarian Sea, and blithely did he follow the singing river, Ugranos, that marked his course. The sun rose higher over gentle slopes of grove and lawn, and heightened the colors of the thousand flowers that starred each knoll and dingle. The blessed haze lies upon all this region, wherein is held a little more of the sunlight than other places hold and a little more of the summer's humming music of birds and bees, so that men walk through it as through a fairy place, and feel greater joy and wonder than they ever afterward remember. By noon, Carter reached the jasper terraces of Kirin, which slope down to the river's edge, and bear that temple of loveliness, wherein the king of Ilikvad comes from his far realm on the twilight sea once a year, in a golden palanquin to pray to the god of Ukranos. And they who sang to him in youth when he dwelt in a cottage by its banks. All of Jasper is that temple, and covering an acre of ground with its walls and courts, its seven pinnacled towers, and its inner shrine, where the river enters through hidden channels, and the god sings softly in the night. Many times the moon hears strange music as it shines on those courts and terraces and pinnacles. But whether that music be the song of the god or the chant of the cryptical priests, none but the king of Elikvad may say, for only he has entered the temple and seen the priests. Now, in the drowsiness of day, and carven and delicate fain was silent, and Carter heard only the murmur of the great stream and the hum of the birds and bees as he walked onward under the enchanted sun. All that afternoon the pilgrim wandered on through perfumed meadows and in the lee of gentle riverward hills bearing peaceful thatched cottages and the shrines of amiable gods carven from jasper or chrysoberyl. Sometimes he walked close to the bank of Orkronos, and whistled to the sprightly and iridescent fish of that crystal stream, and at other times he paused amidst the whispering rushes and gazed at the great dark wood on the farther side, whose trees came down clear to the water's edge. 
In former dreams, he had seen quaint, lumbering buhopaths come shyly out of that wood to drink, but now he could not glimpse any. Once in a while, he paused to watch a carnivorous fish catch a fishing bird, which it lured to the water by showing its tempting scales in the sun, and grasped by the beak with its enormous mouth as the winged hunter sought to dart down upon it. Toward evening he mounted a low, grassy rise, and saw before him, flaming in the sunset, the thousand gilded spires of Thrawn. Lofty beyond belief are all the alabaster walls of that incredible city, sloping inward toward the top, and wrought in one solid piece by what means no man knows, for they are more ancient than memory. Yet lofty as they are with their hundred gates, and two hundred turrets, the clustered towers within, all white beneath their golden spires, are loftier still, so that men on the plain around see them soaring into the sky, sometimes shining clear, sometimes caught at the top in tangles of cloud and mist, and sometimes clouded lower down, with their utmost pinnacles blazing free above the vapors. And where Thran's gates open on the river are great wharves of marble, with ornate galleons of fragrant cedar and calamander, riding gently at anchor, and strange-bearded sailors sitting on casks and bales, with their hieroglyphics of far places. Landward beyond the walls lies the farm country, where small white cottages stream between little hills, and narrow roads with many stone bridges wind gracefully among streams and gardens. Down through this verdant land Carter walked at evening, and saw twilight float up from the river to the marvelous golden spires of Thran. Then just at the hour of dusk he came to the southern gate, but was stopped by a red-robed sentry until he had told three dreams beyond belief, and proved himself a dreamer, were they to walk up Thran's steep, mysterious streets, and linger in bazaars, where the wares of the ornate galleons were sold. Then into that incredible city he walked, through a wall so thick that the gate was a tunnel, and thereafter, amidst curved and undulant ways, winding deep and narrow, between the heavenward towers. Lights shone through grated and balconied windows, and the sound of lutes and pipes stole timid from inner courts where marble fountains bubbled. Carter knew his way, and edged down through darker streets to the river, where at an old sea tavern he found the captains and seamen he had known in myriad other dreams. There he bought his passage to Selephiace, on a great green galleon, and there he stopped for the night after speaking gravely to the venerable cat of that inn, who blinked, dozing, before an enormous hearth, and dreamed of old wars and forgotten gods. In the morning, Carter boarded the galleon bound for Selephiace, and sat in the prow as the ropes were cast off, and the long sail bound to the Serenarian Sea began. For many leagues, the banks were much as they were above Thran, with now and then a curious temple rising on the farther hills towards the right, 
in a drowsy village on the shore, with steep red roofs and nets spread into the sun. Mindful of his search, Carter questioned all the mariners closely about those whom they had met in the taverns of Celephias. He asked the names and ways of the strange men with long, narrow eyes, long-lobed ears, thin noses, and pointed chins, men who came in dark ships from the north and traded onyx for the carved jade and spun gold and little red singing birds of Celephias. Of these men, the sailors knew not much, save that they talked but seldom, and spread a kind of awe about them. Their land, very far away, was called Inganok, but not many people cared to go thither because it was a cold twilight land, and said to be close to the unpleasant Lang. Even though highly impassable mountains towered on the side of Lang where it was thought to lie, so that none might say whether this evil plateau, with its horrible stone villages, an unmentionable monastery, were really there, or whether the rumor were only a fear that timid people felt in the night when those formidable barrier peaks loomed black against a rising moon. Certainly men reached Lang from very different oceans, but of other boundaries of Inganok, those sailors had no notion, nor had they heard of the cold waste and unknown Kadath, save from vague, unplaced reports, and of the marvelous sunset city which Carter sought, they knew nothing at all. So the traveler asked no more of far things, but bided his time until he might talk with those strange men from cold and twilight Inganok or the seed of such gods as carved their features on the granite. Late in the day, the galleon reached those bends of the river which traversed the perfumed jungles of Cled. Here, Carter wished he might disembark, for in those tropic tangles sleep wondrous palaces of ivory, lone and unbroken, where once dwelt fabulous monarchs of a land whose name is forgotten. Spells of the Elder Ones keep these places unharmed and undecayed, for it is written that there may be one day need of them again. And elephant caravans have glimpsed them from afar by moonlight, although no one dares approach them closely because of the guardians to which their wholeness is due. But the ship swept on, and the dusk hushed the hum of the day the first stars above blinked answers to the early fireflies on the banks as that jungle fell far behind. It left only its fragrance as a memory that had once been. And all through the night, that galleon floated on past mysteries unseen and unsuspected. Once a lookout reported fires on the hills to the east, but the sleepy captain said they had better not be looked at too much since it was highly uncertain just who or what had lit them. In the morning the river had broadened out greatly, and Carter saw by the houses along the banks that they were close to the vast trading city of Hellenith on the Serenarian Sea. Here the walls are of rugged granite, and the houses are peaked fantastic with beamed and plastered gables. 
The men of Hellanith are more like those of the waking world than any others in this dreamland, so that the city is not sought except for barter, but is prized for the solid work of its artisans. The wharves of Hellanith are of oak, and there the galleon made fast while the captain traded in the taverns. Carter also went ashore and looked curiously upon the rutted streets where wooden ox-carts lumbered, and feverish merchants cried their wares vacuously in the bazaars. The sea taverns were all close to the wharves on cobbled lanes, salt with the spray of high tides, and they seemed exceedingly ancient, with their low, black-beamed ceilings and casements of greenish bull's-eye panes. Ancient sailors in those taverns talked much of distant ports, and told many stories of the curious men from Twilight and Granick, but had little to add to what the seamen of the galleon had told. Then, at last, after much unloading and loading, the ship set sail once more over the sunset sea, and the high walls and gables of Hellanith grew less, as the last golden light of day lent them a wonder and beauty beyond any that man had ever given them. Two nights and two days the galleon sailed over the Serenarian Sea, sighting no land and speaking but one other vessel. Then, near sunset of the second day, there loomed up ahead the snowy peak of Iran, with its ginkgo trees swaying on the lower slopes. Carter knew that they were come to the land of Uthnargai and the marvelous city of Celephiase. Swiftly there came into sight the glittering minarets of that fabulous town, and the untarnished marble walls with their bronze statues, and the great stone bridges where Naraxa joins the sea. Then rose the green gentle hills behind the town, with their groves and gardens of asphodels, and the small shrines and cottages upon them, and far in the background the purple ridge of Tenarians, potent and mystical, behind which lay forbidden ways into the waking world and toward other regions of dream. The harbor was full of painted galleys, some of which were from the marble cloud city of Serenian. It lies in the ethereal space beyond where the sea meets the sky, and some also were from more substantial ports of the oceans of dreamland. Among these, steersman threaded his way up to the spice fragrant wharves, where the galleon made fast in the dusk as the city's million lights began to twinkle out over the water. Ever new seemed this deathless city of vision, for here time has no power to tarnish or destroy, as it has always been is still the turquoise temple of Nath-Horthoth, and within it are the eighty orchard-wreathed priests who are the same who built it ten thousand years ago. Shining still is the bronze of the great gates, and the onyx pavements are ever worn and never broken, and the great bronze statues on the walls look down on merchants and camel drivers, older than fable, yet without one gray hair in their forked beards. Carter did not at once seek out the temple, or the palace, or the citadel, 
but stayed by the seaward wall amongst traders and sailors. And when it was too late for rumors and legends, he sought out an ancient tavern he knew well. He rested there with the dreams of the gods on unknown Kadath, whom he sought. The next day he searched all along the quays for some of the strange mariners of Inganok, but he was told there were none now in the port, their galley not being due from the north for two full weeks. He found, however, one Thorobonian sailor who had been to Inganok and had worked in the onyx quarries of that twilight place, and this sailor said there was certainly a desert to the north of the peopled region which everyone seemed to fear and shun. The Thorobonian opined that this desert led around the utmost rim of impassable peaks into Lang's horrible plateau, and this was why men feared it, though he admitted that there were other vague tales of evil presences and nameless sentinels. Whether or not this could be the fabled waste where an unknown Kadath stands, he did not know but it seemed unlikely that those presences and sentinels, if indeed they truly existed, were stationed there for naught. And this, my darling, ends our story time for today. As always, I hope that you have very sweet and creepy dreams. Good night.